Hey everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. How many of you know what this is? Starbucks, Starbucks cup. And uh, sort of the, uh, the annual Christmas Starbucks design, sort of a generic holiday look. Some of you may remember uh, a few years ago when the normal snowflakes and trees and ornaments were replaced with just this plain red. And at the time, um, uh, it got a lot of pushback. It was like, you're erasing Christmas and you're canceling Christmas in favor of political correctness, and it sparked this trend of people going into Starbucks and ordering their drink and telling the barista that their name was Merry Christmas. So, uh, so that you know, all the Starbucks employees would be forced to write it on the cup, maybe even say it out loud. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Tall latte, Merry Christmas. Um, it, it, is that the way to keep Christ in Christmas? Is, is a culture war against Starbucks having Merry Christmas written on a coffee cup? Is that, is that what I mean when I uh, talk about having a countercultural Christmas? No, it is not. And I would suspect that even if you're still checking out Christ, uh, what he means personally to you, what this whole faith is about. I suspect those people even don't want uh, Christmas stripped of its meaning and significance and its spirituality and its beautiful origin story. As the culture increasingly moves to Christmas being about, I don't know, a bullied reindeer who saved Christmas, a, a magical top hat that brought a snowman to life, a you know, a, a sneaky elf who hides on shelves, uh, out decorating your neighbor, or even this ambiguous kind of spirit of Christmas, which is, I, I think, is best illustrated in a movie uh, like this. <gasps> You're gonna help me make it fly. Look, Elf is an all-time classic, I, it, but it's sort of about this ambiguous 
Christmas spirit, pseudo-spiritual, and there's nothing inherently wrong with these reasons or these narratives. It's just that they are such lame, half-baked stand-ins for what is the greatest story ever told. And this quasi-spirituality of, of Christmas in our culture is such a pale imitation of the authentic spiritual transformation that happened because of a baby coming to earth, fully man, fully God, who would live for us and die for us and ultimately be resurrected into new life and, and, and one day is coming again. That's what this series is, is going to be about. And if we pardon the cliche, how do we really keep Christ in Christmas? And that's something that a lot of people want to do. Uh, and not sure sometimes if I've been more influenced by the culture or God's take on this season. You know, at its heart, it really is a birthday celebration, the birthday of God come to us. So what I'd like to do over this Advent is get really practical about how to do Christmas well in a way that is countercultural, but entirely more meaningful. Um, and when I say practical, I mean like, let's talk about how to survive in-laws and relatives that you're deeply annoyed by. Um, you know, how many of you lose every bit of your Jesus way <laughs> within five minutes of the mother-in-law or the drunk uncle coming to the door? And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, maybe you're the one that others are dreading to uh, <laughs> see. Uh, Look, I desire for all of us to have a memorable, joyful, meaningful experience at Christmas. And uh, so we're also going to talk about the pressure to buy, 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 which often leads to debt, 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 and how to bring sanity to the whole gift-giving thing. Uh, but we're, we're going to start off with a look at how to keep Christ in the holiday celebrations itself, which has and will become... I think increasingly countercultural. And to do that, we're going to look at some real specific things that you can do and some very um, uh, ways that, um, uh, that aren't my ideas, um, but that have come from the collective wisdom of you folks and from other churches. Uh, some of these may be completely new ideas to you, maybe because you weren't raised in a Christian home. Um, and may I say, and I'm preaching to myself here, I don't think I have done Christmas particularly well over the years as a husband, as a father, as a Christian. I don't, I'm not trying to make excuses. Maybe it's in part because my entire working life, I have worked Christmas. Uh, Christmas is kind of important in church life. I don't know if you know that, but there are pressures and deadlines, and sometimes it's hard to separate the two, you know, work and uh, the meaning of the season. And prior to being in ministry, I worked as a counselor for youth in 24-7 institutional care. There are no holidays in institutional care. We don't shut long-term care down for the holidays, and, and so I was the low man on the totem pole who worked Christmas. So um, as with most Series that interests me. I'm, I'm, 
I'm talking about things that challenge and convict me, things that I haven't mastered, to say the least. And so I'd like to begin with something that I haven't participated in for years, but I, I know can be so meaningful if done with purpose, and that is our decorations. Um, and I'd encourage you to decorate with purpose. Let, let me talk in particular to growing demographic of NAC, our young families. When you decorate with purpose, you're explaining to your children as you go that, um, that you're remembering as a family collectively these, that these decorations mean something to the Christmas story. Starting with the most obvious, which is the Christmas tree. Um, the Christmas tree has enormous significance and uh, symbolic meaning. Green is, is, is a symbol for new life uh, and specifically new life in Christ that he would give for us. Christ was a, a person, the scriptures say, who was born to die. Um, born that uh, man no more may die. Born to give us second birth, you know, like it's in, our, it's in our carols. And so the Christmas tree actually is looking ahead to his death on a cross. The Christmas tree is also an evergreen reflecting this eternal life that can be ours. And the tree is traditionally topped by an angel or a star. And that again reminds us of the of the Christmas story, the angel in the sky announcing the birth of Jesus to the shepherds or, or the star in the sky that led the wise men to the Christ child. Now, um, traditionally, the colors that we decorate with at Christmas are silver and gold. And the reason that we use these colors goes back historically, symbolically. Silver represents purity, and the sinless life uh, that Christ lived. And gold represents the gift given to the Christ child by the wise men. Uh, you know, another way that we commonly decorate for Christmas is with a wreath. Again, the meaning of the green or the evergreen, which, which represents life. But the circular shape of the wreath is, is also significant because it is symbolic of the eternal life that we can have with Christ and of, of God's eternal nature. Um, there's this other thing uh, that you may have noticed around Christmas time of putting candles in the window. Um, that has some, I think, of the deepest imagery and symbolism because there are multiple ways that has been used throughout the centuries. First of all, people have put candles in their window uh, to represent the fact that Jesus is the light of the world. And another reason why they have done that is to do with the story told by Jesus in the New Testament of the wise women who, who carried their lit candles in expectation of the coming of the Lord. And so we light candles in windows, especially during Advent, this season of waiting in expectation of the coming of Jesus. Some, um, some people have also put candles in windows as kind of a a callback to the, to the innkeeper present at Jesus' birth. Candles are a way of sort of symbolically saying, in this house, 
we will make room for Jesus on this cold winter night. So, so the candle in the window is a sign of hospitality, saying Christ is welcome in this house. Um, now, another aspect of keeping Christ in Christmas in our decorating is uh, maybe the most well-known candy, uh, which is, of course, the candy cane. So uh, just uh, you can finally grab your candy cane. Just look at it for a second. And uh, what you may not know, and I didn't know until this week, is that the candy cane was specifically designed by a Christian candy maker in Indiana to reflect the true meaning of Christmas. And just take a look. He started with a white peppermint stick to represent the pure, sinless life of Christ. And then he put red stripes around it to reflect a verse in Isaiah that prophesied that when the Messiah would come, it would be by his stripes that we would be healed. And this was a prophecy about how the death of Christ in our place would bring about the salvation of our lives. Now, would you all just hold up your candy cane for me? Hold it up. Good. Good. Wrong, wrong, wrong. <laughs> now, this is how we would typically hold it up, and it, it looks like a shepherd's stick, and that'll, or a shepherd's staff, that'll preach. But apparently, and I didn't know this, this is how it was meant to be seen. What does that look like to you? A J, a J which stands for Jesus. That's always a good answer in church. <laughs> so, so you see, there's a lot going on symbolically with these candy canes. And that was intentional. It was by design by the maker who, who created this. Uh, kind of cool thing you might want to explain to your kids. Uh, let's talk about uh, decorating into Advent, which, which has already begun. Many people don't know what it is or how to celebrate it. Of course, we're going to talk about these things in the series um, that has already begun, but it might have been more helpful to begin this in October as a way to uh, prepare for this season. So some of this you may tuck away for next year. Um, Advent is simply a word that means upcoming. It has to do with the coming of Christ and the expectation of his coming. And the ancient Advent prayer was the prayer Maranatha, which, which simply means come Lord Jesus. Um, the celebration of the season of Advent was to be celebrated the four Sundays before Christmas. It was designed to build a sense of expectation toward the celebration of the birth of Christ at Christmas. We know that the Advent was formally celebrated as early as the 6th century and built on customs that we know go back all the way to the 300s. This is one of the most ancient traditions in the, in the Christian life of, of the Christmas celebration, going back almost 2,000 years. The Advent wreath itself comes from 16th century Germany, much like the Christmas tree. Here's how it is traditionally worked. On, on the first week of Advent, you might light a candle and say a prayer or read a scripture verse. You might do a short devotion and then blow out the candle. And then the second week, you light the first candle along with the second one, read some scripture, offer a prayer. Third week, light the first two candles along with the third, so on and so on. Uh, until all four candles are lit. Often this is done over a meal. 
You know, many, many people also have a center candle, traditionally called the Christ candle, that is lit on Christmas Eve. Uh, the candles for Advent, again, have this symbolism uh, in, in Christ as the light of the world. The colors I found out of the candle are significant as well. The candles for weeks one, two, and four are purple, which represent royalty. The candle for week three is pink, which represents the growing expectation of, of the coming of Christ. And the Christ candle is white. And in the center, it represents the purity of Christ. And all of the candles are traditionally set around a wreath, again, with green symbolizing eternal life and, and the round uh, shape of it uh, representing the eternalness of God. And so you light a candle, read scripture, say a prayer over a meal, and each week you'll notice the light grows brighter and brighter as you look forward to the coming of Christ, the light of the world who is coming again. And traditionally, you also talk about four themes each week, uh, hope, joy, peace, love, and the weekly devotions might focus on these things. You know, when I started as a pastor at New Market Alliance, almost six years ago to the day, just hold your applause, folks. I just, I lived at Dave and uh, Sandy Clouks uh, for December and January while my kids finished um, their semesters out west and, uh, and, and while we looked for a place to live. Dave and Sandy have since moved, but they, um, you know, part of the, almost the original members of NAC. He's a former pastor here, Sandy a former elder here. And I got the privilege of being a guest at their most um, long-held and beautiful traditions, the four Advent Sundays. Uh, And for years they've done this. Invite all of their family and the grandkids and their closest friends. It was just a packed house. And it was very similar to what I described. And, and, And seeing it through the eyes of these grandkids was something just really meaningful to me. It was, it was one of the best examples I've seen of a family doing Advent and Christmas well, even counterculturally. But, but you have a lot of freedom with this. Perhaps as a family, you want to take the four nights before Christmas Day to do this and build towards it. Or the use of Advent calendars, particularly those with Jesus as its focus, is another way to bring families into this story of expectation. A Savior was expected to come, and, and now we, we wait again in hopeful expectation of his return. Now, um, can we talk a little bit about Santa? Is you, parents were warned in advance if you're watching online, uh, you maybe you want to excuse the kids into another room. Okay? Are we safe? Spoiler alerts and all that. One of the big issues for a lot of parents when it comes to Santa is whether or not to include him in their Christmas narratives. And some of you have very strong opinions on this. And some of you wonder if you tell your kids about Santa and then later when the secret is revealed, if that will undermine uh, your child's trust in, in you about 
bigger things, even things about God. This is not a hill I'm personally prepared to die on, okay? We didn't incorporate Santa with my kids, but I have zero judgment on those that do. I know another pastor who incorporated Santa into their kids' traditions, but, but, what he did was told them the real story about Santa, which, which most people do not. And for this pastor, there was this continuity. And by the way, not one of those kids had an issue later down the road with, with trust. We, we did not incorporate Santa, but I'm not here to advocate one way or another. I think this is a matter of conscience for parents. NAC isn't going to be the place where kids get Santa spoiled. But I wonder if we took the time to explain the true story of this real historical person, uh, St. Nicholas, if it might help bridge the gap. Uh, it's a story that is, is due to be redeemed. He was a real historical figure. And maybe you should tell or retell this story to your kids. St. Nicholas lived in Turkey and he died around the year 350 AD. He was a very active leader in the church. He was part of the famous uh, Council of Nicaea in, in 325, one of the greatest Christian councils in history. And he was known for his holiness. He was known for his passion for Jesus. He was actually tortured and imprisoned for, for his faith. Um, he gave almost all his money away. And his love for children was very real and very well known. And let me even just tell you one of the stories from his life that we know from that era. There were three uh, poverty-stricken sisters. And back in those days, the only way that girls could make it in life because of the times and the culture was if they had a dowry. And, you know, a dowry was money that a father could provide so that if, if somebody married his daughter, she could, she could bring some money into the marriage. A girl without a dowry uh, was almost certainly never married and often thrust into the worst of life situations. They had no way to fend for themselves. Well, this particular father had no dowry. And the daughters were presumably headed to a life of prostitution. Nicholas found out about it. And he went one night and he took three bags of gold and he threw them down into the house through some type of, anyone? Chimney, yeah, some opening in the roof. You start to see where some of these traditions related to Santa are coming from. He gave one bag of gold for each daughter to serve as a dowry for them so that all three could get married. And it was because of this and many, many stories like this, he actually became the patron saint of children. And it led to children giving presents in his name. Now, the children had trouble saying his name because St. Nicholas has so many syllables. So it became... Uh, Santa Claus, and then uh, later Santa Claus by the Dutch. Thank you, Vera, for that contribution. And now through the historical lens, it's kind of a wonderful tradition. It's deeply spiritual. And St. Nicholas was a wonderful Christian man who was worthy of being 
remembered. So, so Santa isn't the problem. The problem is like so much we've done around Christmas. It's been stripped of its origin and motivation and meaning. Like you could easily tell your kids this Saint Nicholas Dowry story, or at least, at least a version of that story. Um, Mommy, what's prostitution? You don't have to like tell the whole... <laughs> What's indentured servitude? That, um, and, and connect the story of, of his love for Jesus and for kids. That's a, man, that's a Christmas story that'll preach. Maybe you'd even connect the story through a figurine or an ornament or a picture that I've seen in the last couple of years. Uh, it looks like this. It's Santa kneeling at the at the Christ child manger. Um, it doesn't disparage Santa. It just puts him in his proper place as one who is worshiping the real reason for Christmas. So you can find even these kneeling Santa ornaments that you can put on your tree. Another thing many families are going to do around Christmas season, you're going to be watching Christmas uh, movies. So let's just talk about that real quick. Movies that treat Christmas with respect. Talk about Jesus in the way that he deserves. So Elf is great. It is. So is Miracle on 34th Street and Frosty the Snowman, my personal favorite Christmas movie, Die Hard. Um, (laughs) There's no Jesus in them though. And so here, just real quick, five great Christmas movies to watch as a family. It's a Wonderful Life, which really does capture the the Christian Christmas spirit includes many spiritual and biblical references. A Christmas Carol, specifically the George C. Scott version, because it, it keeps to the Dickens classic, and, and there are strong Christian aspects in that story. The Chosen, I know you know this, is that this excellent retelling of, of the Gospels. It's free on YouTube and other streaming platforms. But there's this little prequel, a 20-minute uh, nativity prequel and it's just really good jesus of nazareth uh directed by franco zifarelli and uh even if you just watch maybe the first half hour of that it has a really good representation of the christmas story the nativity story is pretty good it features an up-and-coming young actor named uh, oscar isaac from who would later be in the star wars trilogy in the role of what my girls call hot joseph which is disrespectful i think but and then i'll throw uh, a curveball even how about the lion the witch and the wardrobe not a, not a christmas movie per se but it features a lot of snow and a cameo from Father Christmas. And so uh, it's obviously filled with beautiful Christian allegories as well. The Charlie Brown Christmas, come on, my my favorite. And uh, maybe the most surprisingly blatant Christian message to appear on network television. It's It's sort of a representation actually of this whole series in the stress of commercialization and noise you know, a single spotlight comes down and Linus reads the gospel account of the birth of Jesus. Of course, there's that amazing uh, Vince uh, Guaraldi score. Um, it, sh- it showed me it's okay to dance like this, you know. Because, so, so that, was, that was helpful. And now, uh, 
moving to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day itself. And these are just suggestions. Maybe it's inspiring your own creative juices to flow. What if, parents, you kept it as a, as a birthday party for Jesus? Maybe a cake even that says, Happy Birthday, Jesus. You could sing uh, to Jesus, blow out the candles, and then kick off the whole celebration. Of course, we would love it if you would attend Christmas Eve here at NAC. Uh, we're designing some things specifically for the kids, and it can be such a rich part of your Christmas tradition to include gathering together as, as God's people. And this year, Christmas Eve actually falls on a Sunday. So uh, we're going to forgo our regular 10 o'clock service and meet at 4 p.m. in the hopes of, of maximizing those who will come, families with babies and, uh, and those who want to meet later for supper. It's going to be a great party. Finally, you want to make sure that our birthday gift giving begins with Jesus. And I can't help but think that participating in our Christmas giving tree is very much like giving a gift to Jesus himself, who, who himself said, if you give water to someone who is thirsty, if you give food to someone who's hungry, if you give clothes to someone who is naked, it's like you're giving it to me. Um, this cartoon sort of sums up that sentiment, you know, getting presents for everyone else, your kid's teacher, your doctor's receptionist, but not for Jesus. And I, I could hardly believe the response from last week uh, as we kicked off this giving tree. The kind of excitement and generosity it immediately showed was just incredible. It was one of the many times I've just been so proud of New Market Alliance Church. I think about three quarters of those 200 tags went out the building that day. So there's still more. But these, these might be some traditions or ideas that would just keep a focus on Jesus and his birthday, so to speak. And, uh, and then specifically to keep Christ at the heart of it, to tell the story, tell the beautiful story. It's actually what the Bible reminds us to do as families. It's found in one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, which says, these commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And the whole idea of that passage is that we would uh, bring the story of God, the story of Christ into our homes with our children. And, and it's easy to do. For instance, having a nativity scene um, somewhere prominent in your home is, is an open door to sort of tell the story, to dramatize the story. I remember having them very present in my home growing up. I'd like to see how long it would take before my mom asked why there was a Darth Vader action figure among the shepherds. Um, you can tell the kids to set it up and arrange it and talk to them about the characters as they do. And then whether on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, get out the Bible, read maybe from Luke 2. Um, there's great kids' Bibles. Uh, we, give, we give one out when kids are dedicated here at NAC. Um, how about even asking the kids to put on a little nativity play for the family? So those are some ways to keep 
Christ in Christmas. But let's not forget maybe the oldest, maybe, maybe the most important way of all, singing. Since, since Mary sang upon hearing the news of the angel, we did a whole Christmas series about people spontaneously breaking into song um, in the Christmas story when they heard about the birth of this Messiah. Folks, Apart from singing the national anthem at hockey games, like where are the times that people gather and sing together? And there's something so powerful about it. Singing in unity together. Jesus says he actually inhabits the praises of his people. He's there in the singing.